Now that football season's here, it's time to put some serious thought into what you'll be ordering from Uber Eats. Whatever's on your game day menu this NFL season, Uber Eats has you covered. They'll deliver whatever you order quickly and just how you want it, so you can stay in the game. Tonight, I'll be eating Uber Eats, the official on-demand food delivery partner of the NFL. Uber Eats is bringing you game day deals all season. Order now. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Hi, I'm Brad Bannon, the host of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. No one else would take the job, apparently. <laughs> uh, uh, we have a great show for you today. Uh, we're going to get to our guests in a minute. Uh, but for those of you who don't regularly watch Deadline DC, uh, I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a national democratic strategist, a commerce to the Hill in Washington, DC, and a political analyst for news radio stations, KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. Uh, if you have any ideas or suggestions for Deadline DC, or if you want to learn more about my uh, polling firm, Bannon Communications Research, you can reach me on Twitter at Brad Bannon. This week on Deadline DC, our guest in the first half hour is Mike Lux, who's here to uh, discuss a report, a new report uh, he co-authored on the uh, dramatic decline of democratic dominance in small factory towns. Then in the second half hour, we will, as we usually do, uh, have our provocative progressive political panel. Joining us on the panel today uh, is Edwith Theogene uh, from Generation Progress and our own executive producer and progressive act activist, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, in the first, uh, first though, we have um, a, a little music clip. That, of course, is Allentown with uh, uh, and uh, a big song, and it sort of speaks to the topic of our. Uh, first discussion today. Uh, in this segment, uh, Mike Lux joins us. Mike's, Mike is the co-founder of Democracy Partners. Um, he's here today to discuss a new report he co-wrote uh, on voting trends in counties with small factory towns. Mike, uh, welcome to Deadline DC. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Brad. I really appreciate uh, you putting me on. Uh, first of all, why don't you uh, give our viewers and listeners a brief synopsis of your report? 
So what our report laid out was that if you if you look in the sort of classic industrial heartland, uh, the the, uh, the the Midwest and uh, places like Pennsylvania and Western New York, um, Democrats have done uh, have done better in big cities, have done better in the suburbs in in the last ten years, but we are getting killed in um, small and medium sized uh, towns. Uh, where uh, there's a there's a large manufacturing presence. We looked at several different kinds of counties in our report. Um, we looked at college towns. We looked at uh, what we called agricultural counties, where there wasn't really any big factories, but it was really mostly rural. Um, we looked at the suburbs. We looked at the big cities. What we found is that uh, if if you're a town that um, had a big manufacturing presence, had a big factory uh, over the last 20 years. A lot of those places used to be Democratic. They used to lean Democrat or, or in some cases be heavily Democratic and now have shifted more and more toward, uh, toward Trump Republicanism. Uh, these are places that went for Donald Trump that literally have never gone Republican uh, before. Um, these are places that are feeling forgotten uh, and um, and deserted really by uh, the, the the National Democratic Party. and uh, and and it's heartbreaking to me. i I'm a midwesterner myself, and i uh, i I was the I was with the AFL CIO in Iowa uh, and and did other uh, jobs in Iowa. Um, and towns that used to be very democratic towns, like Atumwa, Iowa or Burlington or Sioux City, Dubuque, uh, those places all went for Trump this time. Uh, it not not only this time, but but 2016 as well. Um, t- towns like Youngstown in Ohio, Flint, Michigan, uh, 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 all, all all these kind of mid-sized and smaller uh, factory towns throughout the Midwest uh, have moved heavily Republican. Um, because the, the 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 folks in those towns don't believe the Democratic Party represents them anymore. Uh, when, when I was when I was in Iowa working for the labor movement in the 1980s and and 90s, uh, early 90s, uh, these kinds of towns were the, were the most Democratic uh, counties in the state, uh, and and, uh, and and now they're going for Trump. And to me, that's uh, that's heartbreaking. It's something that has to change. Okay. Well, if uh, if uh, voters in these small factory towns don't think the Democratic Party represents them anymore, who do they think uh, the Demo- Who do they think the Democratic Party represents? They, they think, uh, and of course, a lot of this is the disinformation and misinformation of uh, social media and and of Fox News. But they think the Democratic Party represents. Uh, wealthy uh, elites. Uh, they they think uh, the party sold them out on trade uh, to help big business. They think uh, the party sold them out during the financial crisis, let Wall Street off the hook, um, and and they they believe that the that the party now uh, uh, no longer is uh, represents working people the the way uh, the way it used to. Okay, well, let me ask you this question. Um, 2016 is one thing, uh, but now uh, uh, voters in these small factory towns uh, that we're discussing uh, have had five years uh, to look at uh, 
Trump and Trumpism and its after effects, uh, do they, have they come to feel that Republicans represent their interests more than Democrats or are they just pissed off at Democrats and haven't got there yet about Republicans? Well, you know, the, uh, it, it's right now I would say it's contested space. Um, the, the worst election for us, not surprisingly, was 2016. And they, they sort of thought of, uh, of Clinton's, uh, of the Clintons as sort of the, the, the ultimate folks who had been for, for NAFTA, who had been for some of these big trade deals, who'd been for deregulating Wall Street. Um, and so there was a lot of bitterness about that. Um, in 2020 and in 2018, actually, and 2020, we started to come back. Um, uh, in, in these towns, but there, but there is such a cycle of uh, of disinformation, misinformation. The 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 right wing has created this media bubble in in these places, and they and they don't get much uh, much other news. And so there's still a perception that the Democrats are the party of elites, uh, and 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 that the Republicans uh, like Trump. Uh, care about them. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I think that, that the good news is that, as I said, we started to come back in some of those places. Um, for example, Joe Biden. Um, uh, Joe Biden, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton had lost Erie, uh, Pennsylvania, and Scranton, and other towns like that. Joe Biden came back and won um, some of those places. Uh, he got he got uh, just enough better in a lot of those towns um, uh, to uh, uh, to come back and win Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, uh, and to and to hold on in Minnesota, where where Hillary Clinton almost lost. So he he did a little bit better in those places, which is why I say they're they're very much contested ground. Which is one of the reasons that we wanted to put a focus. On these places, uh, my my view is the Democratic Party tends to think that all the all the uh, swing votes live uh, swing voters live in the suburbs, um, but I think uh, a surprising number of them live in in towns precisely like the ones that we study. Okay, uh, our guest in this half hour is Mike Lux, uh, who is a co-founder of Democracy Partners. Uh, also, he's the co-author of a new study on the decline of democratic dominance in small factory towns. Uh, we're going to go to a break uh, so we can uh, uh, get things rolling again. Uh, but when we come back from break, we'll have more of Mike Lux. Uh, I think we're going to discuss the impact of uh, build build back better on whether that is playing well or poorly with voters uh, in these uh, small factory towns. Uh, but anyway, we're going to take a short break. Uh, we'll be right back with our TV listeners. We'll be back in a couple of sec minutes uh, for our radio listeners. Uh, so don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, for our radio listeners, uh, if you'd like to watch the show every Monday in addition to listen to it, uh, there are all sorts of ways you can do that. Uh, you can watch us on Twitter at twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon. Uh, you can watch us 
uh, also on Facebook at tinyurl.com front slash BB Facebook Live. And you can also watch us on YouTube at tinyurl.com Brad on YouTube. So uh, if you would love to see us in addition to listening to us, uh, now you have all sorts of options to do so. Our guest again in this segment is Mike Lux, who is the co-author of a report on the dramatic decline of the Democratic vote in small and counties with small factory in small factory towns. Uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, and again, uh, we talked about the uh, Democratic preoccupation uh, with uh, uh, with the suburbs. Uh, another Democratic preoccupation preoccupation, I think, among some insiders, uh, is the feeling that uh, Joe Biden's uh, Build Back Better plan is an overreach uh, and the federal government is just trying to do too much. Uh, are these uh, voters in small factory towns, uh, do they welcome Build Back Better or they think that the federal, you know, Joe Biden is just trying to do too much, too fast, too soon? I think overall they they welcome it. Uh, you know the polling is complicated with these voters. These are these tend to be swing voters, uh, and so you're not going to have them suddenly embrace everything the Democrats do. Uh, 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 and and they are they they do when Republicans pound messages about oh this is just going to be tax and spend higher you know higher taxes. It's too much. It's too fast. Uh, you know the, these voters are susceptible to those arguments. But if you but if you ask them what they want uh, done, uh, when you ask them what their opinion is of the policies in Build Back Better, they're they're actually overwhelmingly supportive. Um, they want to tax the rich for one thing. Uh, they they believe in taxing the rich, uh, and um, it, arguments about why we shouldn't tax the rich actually make them more angry. They in fact the polling shows that if they if if people know that this uh, that, that Build Back Better is paid for primarily by uh, by taxing millionaires and billionaires. Um, the support for it actually shoots up dramatically. By, okay, by okay that's a good question. Do they know that though? Do they know that? They uh, you know, all I hear when people discuss Build Back Better is three point five trillion dollars. And, that, and that the Biden the administration yeah. has made the point several times. Basically, it doesn't cost three and a half trillion dollars because the entire thing would be paid for uh, by tax increases on uh, middle class Amer uh, on wealthy Americans uh, making corporations pay their fair share of taxes. Uh, has the message got out to voters in these small factory towns? Uh, uh, not as much as it should have. Uh, I, I think that there is definitely a gap between uh, the policies and uh, the communication about the policies, uh, and uh, that's a that's a big concern. Democrats need to figure out a communications infrastructure. They have to figure out a way to get the message out uh, beyond what they've done, uh, because, like I say, the individual policies are popular. You know, childcare uh, is really popular. Uh, more money for education is really popular. The, the child tax credit is really popular. Green jobs are really popular. But people don't know, to your point, the voters in these factory towns, for, for one thing, 
the newspaper industry, uh, for a variety of reasons, has has mostly gone away. The, the newspapers in these towns are are, are awful. Um, uh, the, the if they still if they exist at all. <laughs> if they exist at all, and uh, the, uh, the 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 radio uh, stations are mostly right wing uh, talk show uh, stations. Uh, the, well, the ones that have any news or issues on them at all. Um, they get a lot of their information from uh, from from goofy memes that their friends send them on Facebook. So, uh, and a lot of that is driven by by the right wing communications infrastructure. So people are not getting the message very well, and and that's a problem that the part the party has to figure out how to change. Because if we can get the word out about these policies, and these voters back. Okay. Uh, let me ask you another question uh, from a message point of view. What should the Democratic message and accompanying policies be like uh, to bring back these voters in these counties with small factory towns? I think I, I think there's a couple of things. One, one is on the issue agenda, talking about things that people in these towns clearly do care about. Like I said, there's a lot in these bills policy wise that people are going to like. Uh, so that's one piece of it. But I also think there's a, there is a cultural thing that's going on as well. These folks feel like they've been forgotten, they've been ignored, um, they've been abandoned. There, and there's there's a real sense that, uh, uh, quote unquote, the libs, uh, uh, i.e. the Democratic Party, don't don't get their lives, don't understand their lives. So I think part of it is having candidates and uh, and having organizations that that talk to people in plain language that is easy e- e- easy for them to understand um, that that talks about things that they care about uh, uh, and 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 doesn't condescend. I mean, to me, that's that's the biggest single part of it is that that people don't want to be condescended to, and they sometimes felt that way. Uh, with Hillary Clinton or with Barack Obama, I think they feel that way less with Joe Biden. Um, Small town President Joe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, and and so, um, uh, but I think it, I think it's it's touching the right the right cultural chords as well as uh, the issue chords is really important. Okay. Uh, and can you talk about specific policy areas uh, that Democrats should emphasize to appeal to these voters? Well, I think one uh, one thing is uh, raising the minimum wage. Uh, okay. A lot of these voters are are in that range, uh, you know, that ten to twelve dollar range, sometimes less. I think another thing. I mean, the, a lot of these voters are uh, used to be union members. And in fact, one of the things we document in the study is that the towns uh, where there there have been a big uh, loss of union jobs are some of the some of the worst towns in terms of losing Democratic votes. But if we can rebuild, help rebuild the labor movement uh, and and get those folks jobs back and have them be union jobs, um, it it will it will matter a great deal to people. Uh, So that's that's another big one. As, As I said. Childcare really matters. Almost all of these families, both parents work yep. because they have to. <laughs> the wages aren't good. The you know the 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 price of uh, of, of everything uh, is going up, and they need they need to be both working jobs. 
So childcare is actually huge. And, and if we were able to provide that more in these smaller towns and mid-sized towns and not just in big cities, that would, that would matter enormously. Hey, Mike, uh, thank you very much for joining us today on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, I read your report, all 82 pages of it, and I hope uh, influential Democrats in Washington and around the country do the same thing. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC after these messages. Welcome back to Deadline The half hour, of course, is when we do our provocative progressive political panel. Uh, but before we do that, uh, we're going to uh, hear and watch uh, Joe Biden uh, talk about climate change. As the entrepreneur whose small business was destroyed by the second hundred year flood in the last 10 years in Iowa, or wildfires in the West that burned 5 million acres last year, an area roughly the size of the entire state of New Jersey. More fires than ever. Or the devastating damage, seen more frequent and more intense hurricanes and storms on the east and Gulf Coast. Ask all those farmers and small business owners and homeowners whether investing in clean energy to fight the effects of climate change is part of infrastructure. That, of course, was President Biden talking about the threat of climate change. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. This half hour is brought to you by my company, Bannon Communications Research, which polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. Now it's time for our provocative progressive political panel. Our guest panelist today is Edwith Theogene, uh, Edwith is Director of Advocacy for Generation Progress, the youth engagement arm of American Center for American Progress. In this role, Edwith works to develop and lead efforts to translate the experiences of young adults into concrete actions that advance progressive policies and increase voter turnout. Joining Edwith on the panel is our own executive producer and progressive activist, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, Mark has worked for several Democratic presidential candidates, including Joe Biden. He is a strong advocate uh, of uh, campaign finance reform and also a fierce supporter of uh, cancer research. Welcome, panel. Uh, let's start with this. Uh, the big news over the weekend, I think there was a story in the New York Times about it on Friday. Uh, also, the uh, TV sh talking head shows on, on Sunday talked a lot about it. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia uh, has basically told the White House uh, that he will not accept the far-reaching uh, Biden administration efforts to fight climate change that are in the Big Back Better bill. And according to the New York Times article, the White House is now busy uh, rewriting Build Back Better to eliminate um, uh, and, according to New York Times, take the heart out of the climate change proposals in Build Back Better so it gets passed. Uh, Edwith, uh, what do you think? 
I'm a little disappointed. Um, I think that we are on the brink of a lot of transformative action as it pertains to climate. And, you know, we want Biden to keep in step with like a lot of his campaign promises and climate has always been a huge priority for him. So it's a little disappointing to see that we're going to kind of chip away. I'm interested and curious to still see, you know, like we still need the clean energy tax credits, the clean energy investments. Um, one of the big things that came out from Biden was the Justice 40 and community investments that at least 40 percent of all federal investments on climate action would be in support of like the frontline communities, which are the most impacted on a lot of fronts. So is that something that they're going to be putting on the chopping block? You know, so I just I, I'm sitting here sort of like waiting to heat to see like what politics really come into play into this. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, Mark, you want to weigh in on this? Yeah, uh, I'm happy Edwith went first and was so eloquent because my initial, we'll go a little Freudian here, my <laughs> id response was something that I can't say on air um, because oh whenever I see Joe Manchin's name in any of these negotiations, I cannot recall a single time that it's been, I read Joe Manchin's trending, oh, let's see why, that it wasn't bad news um, or him fighting in some way that's going to, you know, stop progress in addressing climate change. And Edwith is right that um, it's not the the only provision within the bill that uh, affects climate change. And of course, we're talking about the um, clean electricity performance program, which for those who aren't familiar with it, basically it uh, rewards energy suppliers who switch from if they're using fossil fuels like coal or natural gas, um, if they switch to clean power sources. So that could be solar, wind, or even nuclear power, which make up 40% of the industry already. Um, it would, it would give them benefits and it would find those who do not. And that would be the biggest wholesale change to, to cut carbon emissions, um, versus these smaller me measures, which, basically any climate expert you talk to says this would be a huge step in preventing the the global temperature from rising by uh the the 1.5 degrees celsius number which is very important you could i would encourage those who haven't read up on that why it is important our temperature does not rise beyond that because all you know uh the climate scientists have shown that basically that's kind of like a point of no return so um, reading that that, you know, heart of, of the climate proposal within the infrastructure bill is on the chopping block because of Joe Manchin. And let's, you know, not make any mistakes here. Joe Manchin's state of West Virginia um, is very big on coal. So I understand, you know, he's talked about representing his constituents. However, if you look at energy and the free market is moving away from coal and moving towards clean energy, including in places like West Virginia. So I would argue his constituents would be better served by incentives for retraining and new energy industries, because wouldn't you want your career to be in something that the industry is moving toward versus a dying form of energy that is dirty and dangerous for our planet? Um, that said, I am still hopeful 
that uh, we can reduce greenhouse gases in other ways, which could be included in the bill. I know um, Senator Tina Smith of Minnesota, um, she was very um, important in including that clean energy, uh, clean electricity and energy provision um, within the bill. She's said um, there may be other ways to address the greenhouse gases, but you know, is Joe Manchin going to support anything that that talks about that? So um, I'm still very hesitant in that way, Brad. And I think honestly, not just Democrats, but a lot of Americans are, especially younger Americans like Edward has talked about, who are going to be saddled with whatever decisions are made now that are going to affect the future uh, of their families and their planet. So um, that's kind of my long-winded, honest answer. Can I add... To that too, Brad. Um, so Generation Progress partnered with a bunch of different youth climate advocacy organizations and held a virtual discussion about the connection of action on climate and democracy reform. And of course, Senator Manchin is basically at the center of both of those. And we actually had a constituent from West Virginia who said that the people of West Virginia, and like, I don't have any polling or any data, but talking to someone that is part of this base um, said that they are interested in these kind of reforms and stuff as it pertains to coal. So it, what my question is basically like, are you really, is Manchin really prioritizing his constituents and the people um, from his state? Or is he really prioritizing big business, right? And dark money and the people who are kind of like pulling the strings behind the scenes. Because everything that um, that you just shared, Mark, like everyone is in support of this. This is widely popular across the country. We definitely want to see Including action on climate. West Virginia, by the way, I've seen polls yes. uh, that shows there's a great deal of support for Build Back Better uh, in the mountain state. Yeah. So this this is just one of those big question marks that uh, really comes out of just like, so who are you prioritizing? You know, Senator Manchin. So. Well, uh, you know, I mean, this is an interesting question because uh the other thing that's happened over the weekend is that there's been a war of words going on uh, between Senator Bernie Sanders and Senator Joe Manchin. In fact, over the weekend, uh, an op-ed criticizing Senator Manchin, uh, penned by Bernie Sanders, appeared in a West Virginia newspaper, which set Senator Manchin off. Uh, who's going to end up winning this battle? Because the reality is Joe Biden needs both their votes. Exactly. Uh, but if the clean energy provisions are still in there, Manchin said he wouldn't vote for it. And if the clean uh, uh, energy provisions aren't in there, Bernie Sanders said he won't vote for it. So what's going to happen here? Brad, can we put a pin in that just because we're, we're coming up on break here? Be a, okay. a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, come back to that right after the break. We're in the middle of the provocative progressive political panel. Our guests on the panel today are Edward Theogene from Generation Progress and our own executive producer and progressive activist, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, we're going to uh, continue this discussion when we get out from under the break. Uh, we will continue to discuss Build Back Better. We'll also discuss the findings of a new Gallup poll, which made quite a splash in Washington uh, late last week that bear on this discussion. We'll be right back after these messages. Good to go, Brad. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. We're in the middle of the provocative progressive political panel. Our guest, esteemed guest on the 
panel today are Edward Theogene, the Advocacy Director of Generation Progress, and our own executive producer and progressive political activist, Mark Grimaldi. Okay, let me try this out for size. Uh, as we debate uh, the very ambitious Biden agenda of Build Back Better, uh, things seem to come along uh, to throw it uh, the uh, president's ambitions and hopes uh, into the dustbin. Um, over the week, though, weekend, there was quite a bit in discussion in uh, Washington uh, about a new poll released by the Gallup organization. And the Gallup organization every year asked Americans whether they think the federal government is doing too much uh, that should be left to businesses and individuals, um, or it's not doing enough, the federal government isn't doing enough to solve the nation's uh, big problems. Now, last year when Gal uh, in 2020, when the Gallup organization asked this question, uh, we had 54% uh, uh, who said that the government should do more to solve uh, the important problems facing America, and only 41% said the, Fed the government is doing too much. Well, the uh, Gallup organization on Friday released the findings for 2021, and the numbers were exactly the opposite. A majority of Americans felt uh, that government's trying to do too much that should be left to businesses and individuals, uh, and a smaller, a plurality, uh, excuse me, a minority of Americans said that government should do more to, uh, to solve important uh, problems facing the nation. Well, obviously, people pointed out at a time uh, when the Biden administration is uh, proposing a very ambitious plan to solve our national problems. Uh, people, the uh, people seeing the Gallup report pointed out uh, he's clearly flying against the wind because last year uh, Americans were in the mood for big and bold. This year, they're not anymore. Edwith, your reply, comment, observation? <laughs> I mean, I'm still processing some of this, but from my perspective, there's been tons of misinformation about what the Build Back Better agenda is, how the government process is going in terms of reconciliation or any of the infrastructure bill. Like, it's just, I, I, I'm sort of curious, though, about what folks are sort of weighing in on in terms of, like, the government is doing too much. Like, there has been a lot of conversation around, like, mass mandates and vaccine mandates and all these other things that some people view as government overreach. Yep. But like when I think about some of the the safety nets that we need, like the child tax credit, some of the movement that we're trying to make on climate action that we talked about, you know, these are very, very important, necessary things to create a more equitable and just economy to provide more opportunities for people. There's still millions of people without jobs. And not because they don't want to work, but there's just like very low wages and not enough benefits that would even support someone taking on that risk. Um, so I, I'm just I'm just sort of interested to hear more about what information is out there. And just one last one last example that I'll tack on to since Generation Progress, we work um, on higher ed and making sure that there's college affordability, the Build Back Better plan 
um, included a huge investment in HBCU schools and um, which are historically black colleges and universities. And there was a misinformation campaign that told folks that they were actually cutting back funding for HBCUs, which was not the case, right? So the Biden administration put out fact sheets and is now on another, like in a response campaign to ensure that people know like what exactly is happening, that Biden proposed like more investment. Um, Congress is cutting back that investment. So, but HBCUs are still getting way more money than they've ever gotten at all, like historically. So I just use that as an example of like, there's a lot of misinformation out there about what exactly is happening in the political landscape and how different communities are being supported and invested on. And I'm just curious about like how folks are getting that information and what strings they're they're looking at being attached to some of that. Yeah, well, it's an interesting point. I should say a couple of things. Uh, first of all, on your point, uh, Edwith, we seem to get getting to the point here where uh, I think it's pretty clear the three and a half trillion dollar package is going by the boards. Uh, everybody, see, even progressives in the House, are now saying their bottom line is two and a half trillion. Uh, Joe Manchin says his is God knows about two trillion. I guess uh, there's obviously been a lot of talk, which we just discussed about, you know, the cost of the clean energy provisions. There's also been a lot of talk about eliminating the health care uh, parts of the plan, which would, you know, drive Senator Sanders up the wall if that happened. Um, so, but I haven't heard anything about the funding for community colleges being threatened. Uh, and that seems to be a part that, uh, most, uh, people in Washington agree on, which is good, I guess, uh, because other things are getting, you know, more severely threatened. Uh, the other thing I should say about the Gallup poll is last year when Gallup, uh, found that a clear majority of Americans, uh, think that the federal government should be doing more to solve national problems. That was an aberration in Gallup's findings. Over the years, Americans, a majority of Americans consistently over the many years Gallup has asked a poll who think government should be less. And it reminds me of something a political scientist said many, many years ago. Uh, and he said basically that uh, Americans are ideological conservatives and pragmatic liberals. Uh, and uh, I think that's what the case is here. Ideologically, Americans are suspicious of big government. It has to do with the people who settled this great nation of ours. Um, including my ancestors who came in, uh, came from Ireland, who, because they were trying to escape a massive uh, British royal, uh, a, a block, uh, you know, autocracy. Um, but when push comes to shove, you know, Americans are pragmatic liberals. You ask them about Social Security. Oh, yeah, we're not going to get rid of that. Are you crazy? Um, and Americans may be ideological conservatives, but they're pragmatic liberals, which may be why uh, Gallup has found this feeling that Americans think the government is doing too much. But you also find widespread polling report uh, support for Build Back Better. Um, Americans are ideological conservatives and pragmatic liberals. I wish you could remember the name of the political scientist long dead who wrote that. Mark, what do you think? 
Well, I think you, you just hit on a point I, I want to expand upon, which is when you ask a general question like that, people seem to respond that way. But when you ask them specifically about yep. the policies within the um, reconciliation package, let's say, um, they're a lot more popular. There's a, a CBS News poll that came out um, just a week ago. And just yeah, to, I saw to, that. To tick off some of the the items, you have the most popular. Eighty eight percent of Americans support federal funding for lowering prescription drug prices. Eighty eight percent, eighty four percent support federal funding for Medicare coverage for dental, vision, and hearing. Seventy three percent support federal funding for paid family medical leave, and sixty seven percent support federal funding for universal pre K. So I mean that's massive numbers, and that's across you know, party lines. So I would say that's more important to me in this debate than the general question, which is still useful, but then the general question of how involved government should be, because that's what we're talking about is this package, this bill. So th that would be, I would be looking at uh, that a lot closer. And then uh, Edwith, we've got about uh, 45 seconds left. Any closing words for the panel? Uh, <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Uh, tell your senators to next week there's going to be a procedural vote on the Freedom to Vote Act, as well as the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, which is really important um, if we want to play a bigger role in making sure that when we get the all these packages across the finish line, um, we can weigh in on their implementation. Amen. Uh, and I can imagine that voters, uh, that um, our listeners and viewers can go to your website at Generation Progress to get more information about this if they wish. Yes, you can join us on generationprogress.org and get more information to reach out to your senators. Also, we're hosting a student debt crisis week of action to ensure that um, free college is included in the reconciliation package in the budget. So if you're interested on that, check out our social media, Gen Progress on Twitter. Um, and Jim Progress on Facebook uh, to sign thank up and see if you can be involved. Thank you, Ed Wyth. I want to thank our guests uh, today, Mike Lux of Democracy Partners, Ed Wyth Theogene from Generation Progress, and progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Leslie will be back tomorrow, so make sure you listen. Be safe and be strong in these troubled times, and make sure you turn in to deadline, tune in to Deadline DC's uh, Mondays at 3 p.m. live or the podcast anytime at twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon or on uh, one of our many affiliated stations. Thank you very much, and I'll talk to you next week. Now that football season's here, it's time to put some serious thought into what you'll be ordering from Uber Eats. Whatever's on your game day menu this NFL season, Uber Eats has you covered. They'll deliver whatever you order quickly and just how you want it so you can stay in the game. Tonight, I'll be eating Uber Eats, the official on-demand food delivery partner of the NFL. Uber Eats is bringing you game day deals all season. Order now 